All right, so we're talking about solitude and the way of Jesus. Man, life is so complex, so busy and noisy. And I know you guys feel it. You guys live in the same world that I do. And uh, I can't imagine trying to cultivate a relationship with Jesus on top of full-time jobs, children, concerns, all of the things without a world that's built for you to connect with Christ. It is one thing to uh, go along with the flow and do what feels natural to you. It is another thing to to swim against the current of time and what's uh, expected of you in society. And so my heart is with you today. My only desire um, in our time this morning is to simply um, create a space for us to talk honestly about how difficult it is to cultivate peace within ourselves and inner quiet. We're talking about solitude. There are three components um, within the solitude practice that um, we're going to be working through as a church. Uh, The first, John did a great job of talking about solitude, the isolation of self. Now, there's a reason you have to get away from all the noise. There's a reason you have to put earplugs in and lock yourself in the bathroom so that you can get five minutes away from your kids or whatever it may be because your mind is built to receive. You have five senses, sight, hear, smell, hearing, uh, taste, and touch. You have um, four million receivers of your skin to receive different um, uh, uh, information bits, whether it's pressure, texture, heat, or pain. Your eyes, you are actually created to um, receive, uh, I believe it's one megabyte of information uh, every, I mean, I want to make sure and get this one correct because it's crazy, it blew my mind. Our eyes receive over one megabyte of information every second. That is the equivalent to reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. If you are as old as me, you didn't have the internet. If you wanted to do some research, go on a, what's the letter? You know, you pull out the Encyclopedia Britannica. My dad was so proud of it. I didn't know why, but it was the closest thing that he had to the internet, right? And so you'd go, it is like reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica every minute. That's how much information your eyes are literally taking in every minute. It is wild. Um, Our ears, they are trained to be able to hear a whisper of somebody. Now, this is with healthy hearing, 30 feet away. You can hear a yell from someone 300 feet away. So, like I said, three million receptors in our skin to be able to receive information Oh my gosh, in in less than a millisecond, a smell of a familiar thing, in less than a millisecond, your brain can make an attachment to a memory you had as a child just by smelling something. We have a lot coming at us as individuals. And now we're beginning to see science around the idea of being overstimulated, of being um, unable to comprehend, or inundated with with noise. There is an external noise that we have to reconcile and find a way to hear the still, small voice of our God. Not only that, but if you were to go into the desert, as many of the desert fathers found, that if you go away from the noise of the city and you find yourself in isolation, the noise doesn't get left behind. We have internal noise. And so today we're really talking about the internal quiet. How do we cultivate an internal quiet where we can connect with the heart of God? Where the internal voices are turned down enough or they are brought into a place where they no longer grab your attention and you're able to move beyond the noise to a deeper place. A place where hearts are formed, a place where the, the very character of Jesus is formed within you. I'm doing a crazy, I'm reading a new book called um, The Other Half of the Church. This describes, it's a new, new research in neuroscience that talks about the different capabilities of the brain and the different ways that brain science works. So you're going to hear me talk about this again um, because lots of my friends are not here and I'm super into it. But if you know every thought that goes into your body, it goes into the backside of your right brain. You know that you don't have one brain, but it's actually two. Well, you have one brain, two parts, and it's processor. Much like a cell phone, there are dual processors within any cell phone. Um, one is to utilize like its function of like all the apps, and then the other one is just for communication. 
And so there are two different processors that are at work. Same thing with your brain. You have a fast processor and a slow processor. You have a right processor and a left processor. All thought goes into the right side of your brain and the back comes forward and then behind your right eye moves to the left and then goes to the front of the left and back. That's how thought moves through your brain. Um, Our brains are crazy intricate. Now, the left side of the brain is actually all of our, um, it's our uh, strategic brain. It's our worrying brain. It's the brain that we think about, like, how warm is it in here? Or what, what should we do for lunch after church? That's where all those thoughts are coming from. The right side of the brain is actually what they're discovering. Um, you've heard the, the language of right side, left side, oh, creative, or very um, meticulous. That's not quite how it works. It's actually two different processors. And so everybody uses both right side, left side. The problem is church has been built for left-sided brains. If you learn more, think harder, try harder, get better strategy, you'll become a new person. But brain science is actually discovering that character transformation doesn't take place at the surface level thought. It takes place at the deeper area of the right-sided brain, where your thoughts are more oriented around your identity as a person, who you belong to, who your people are, and how to manage yourself in a way that is consistent in this moment. And so as science progresses, we're learning that actually there's a reason that some of our um, efforts in the past to become better people has failed because we're not working how God designed our bodies to work. And so it's fascinating that part of what um, uh, even solitude is doing is it's moving beyond the left brain into the right brain where we can interact in a relational sense in a way that will actually transform our brains. Um, Many of you know about neuroplasticity. You are not given the brain that you will die with when you're born. Your brain can actually be rewired and grown in different ways. We can grow our character through practices of spiritual discipline. The disciplines, they don't fix us. It won't fix you to read your Bible more. It won't fix you to to take time of solitude where you close your ear off and quiet your heart. That won't fix you. What fixes you is in those spaces, we believe that God will meet us when we seek him. Scripture itself says that when we draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to us. When we seek him, he will be found. And so the practices, whether it's Sabbath or um, study of scripture or solitude, this is you going, I'm going to use my willpower, left-sided brain, to create some spaces, because that's all it can do, where God himself can fill and meet me and transform me, because I can't on my own. There are things that we can only learn in the stillness that we cannot learn in our thought, working, striving, pursuits of understanding all that's going on. Our minds are fallible. They cannot figure out the answer to all the problems. We need the Spirit of God. Amen? That's not a culturally normal thing to say. We are supposed to be able to figure out every problem. Oh, we just haven't progressed enough. We haven't done enough. No, there is a limit to my ability to think myself out of my own brokenness. That's the truth. Um, I wish I would have realized that sooner. But um, anyways, so when we have a lot of different things going on, we we go into the, if we were to go out and away from all the noise, how many of you guys were able to get away this last week? You tried a little bit of quiet by yourself. It was the hardest week for me ever. Not because externals, internal. Like I could not quiet my heart. And I'm like, God, get somebody else to teach this week. Because typically I'm pretty good at this because I'm, uh, I'm more introverted. I, I utilize what's going on within me to connect with Jesus. Um, but it was, it was a challenging week. Uh, our society at, at large is not good at being quiet. We're not good at sitting and being bored, as, as some have said. Um, we cannot shut our brains off society. We live in a culture of avoidance. 
where we like to avoid boredom, we like to avoid the quiet, the calm, we like to avoid spaces where the water becomes still enough for things to flow to the surface. I don't know if you're like me, but I have been shamefully aware that when I'm not quite sure, Rachel's been traveling a lot, and um, I love it, she's doing such a beautiful work uh, overseas, but it leaves me with a lot of like time. I don't know what to do with myself when she's not here to tell me, not tell me what to do, but invite me to do with her. She's got a great plan for my life, and I mean that. Like she picks great restaurants. I'm at the point where I'm like, you pick. You know what I like, or I'll text her. I'm like, I'm going to Indian. What do I like here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I trust her, and I love spending time with her. But uh, I've just realized, man, like, what do I do when I don't know what I'm supposed to do? And the spiritual disciplines are not things that were supposed to make your life more busy. If anything, it's like, hey. If I have any influence in your heart and life, spiritually, I'm telling you, as your pastor, you should take time in the quiet to just be with God and let Him love you. You need to do it. Um, I think it was Henry Nouwen who said that without solitude, it is impossible to live a spiritual life. Many of us have experienced this and we've seen this where uh, during COVID I noticed particularly that when the program of the church ceased, people's spirituality like went in chaos because they're dependent upon stuff, programs, things, someone telling them what to do to actually stay tethered to Jesus. That's why the practices and spiritual disciplines are so essential to us. Because we don't want our, uh, our, our lifeblood to be attached with something that is transient. Now, the world has different strategies when life quiets down. Uh, it could come in the form of numbing, which is, you know, you could indulge, you could overeat, overdrink, you could lead to addictions, escapism in general, um, distracting. Sometimes we distract ourselves by staying busy. We're going to read a story in scripture about uh, the busyness that can crowd out our time with Jesus. Uh, distracting through doing, um, through through um, mental obsessing or overworking, um, and then what the practicing the way communities uh, kind of isolated is one of the more, more important things is like spiritual bypassing, where we don't want to deal with our stuff because God's good, and then you don't actually interact with the struggle that you've had, the way that you've been hurt by someone, or. The, what you carry within your person or the, the wrestling that you have or the questions you have about God or the what ifs, where were you's. We just excuse them away because we don't think there's place for them. But in all actuality, they're supposed to come. That's one of the things that's supposed to emerge and, and boil to the surface in these moments of quiet. It's like, God, where were you? God, can I trust you? God, why did you let that happen? But that, that's scary. Especially if you haven't been in a place where you've realized and been invited to think through some of those things and there's not condemnation for it. It's, it's encouraged for us to dig deep into with Jesus. So um, the brain is not something we can run from. Here's some brain facts. Our brain is actually made up mostly of water and fats, which is kind of gross. Uh, in one of the things I was, I was uh, researching, there's this amazing uh, bunch of videos on YouTube about this. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the organization, but uh, Centis, so you can look it up on YouTube, but it's all about how the brain works. They said that the brain weighs about as much as four tubs of butter, which I'm not quite sure how they came up with that uh, metric. But, uh, but that being so, it is 2% of the body's weight, but takes up 20% of the body's energy. So our brain is active. That's why it's still there when we're alone. We have 100 billion neurons. Each neuron is attached to at least 1,000 to 10,000 different uh, neurons creating neural pathways within our brain where, where there is electricity and information that is shared. There's literally trillions of neurological connections where information is passed 
through a series of chemical messages and electric impulses, which creates about 10 to 25 watts of electricity, literally as you're sitting here right now. That's enough to power a light bulb. Interesting, right? Over the course of one day, your brain generates more electrical in, uh, impulses from firing neurons, listen to this, than all of the telephones in the world. Your brain. Today. More than all telephones in the world. Isn't that fascinating? And isn't it revealing? And isn't it humanizing that the fact that my brain won't stop racing even when I'm trying to talk to God and I love him and I want to spend time with him and I want to grow in him, but my brain won't shut off. And it's not always bad things. It's not always things that are negative. It's not always things that I can go, oh yeah, that's obviously not as important as Jesus. Turn with me in uh, your Bible to Luke chapter 10 where we're going to see somebody who's wrestling with a very good thing, but something that was in the way. Luke 10, we're told in verse 38 um, about our sister Martha. Now, no hate on Martha. There's a bit of Martha in all of us, and if there's not, there should be. Uh, verse 38, I say that to myself. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed into her house. Beautiful woman. Thank you, Martha. Martha is likely in charge of the house. Okay? She's got a a sister who's a little bit light, lighter and, you know, you'll see. And she had a sister called Mary who sat. So Martha who invited Mary who sat. And he had, she had a sister yeah, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? To serve alone. Tell her then to help me. And can't we be so compassionate to Martha? Think about this. Jesus is an honored rabbi who's come to your house. And Martha being the matriarch of the house is in charge of all that takes place within the house. And she's trying to do this beautiful thing that would actually elevate her name in society. Her home's name, the house Oh, Messiah, Jesus, Rabbi, came to your house. This is good for Mary as well as for Martha. And so Martha's like, listen, we got to do the thing. Come on. Like, let's make him feel special. Let's make this uh, exceedingly a blessing for him. And yet she's sitting at his feet. And she comes into contact with a, a different priority and a different agenda. Um, and uh, this hurts. This hurts when we're passionate about doing something and Jesus is like, that's not important. I've had to learn this because I'm, I'm a minimalist. I like the least amount as possible. Like, let's just do the thing. But certain people, they love to give and it's such a gift. And we have to be, I, have to be, I have to be careful to be like, no, that's not important. No, it's, it's beautiful. It's like a service to Jesus. But one of the very foundational elements of who we are is valuing presence above program. The presence of Jesus and the people he loves over establishing a quality or making something that is consumer oriented and good for everybody. If that makes sense? We want to value people sitting at the feet of Jesus. We want to normalize that sitting with Christ is the centerpiece of our faith, not the doing for him. Does that make sense? We've got a, I mean, it's really easy to be a doer that's left-sided. It's beautiful. I need doers in my life. I need to become one as well. But it, it can be more difficult to be and move into the place of receiving of inviting stillness and quiet. There are different reasons why people hustle, different reasons why it's hard to stop. There are different reasons why it's easier not to think about certain things. It's easier to do, why, there's reasons why it's easier to distract yourself, um, to avoid circumstances where vulnerability is expected. There's more going on within you 
then you know if you're uncomfortable in the silence. And that's not any judgment. It's just acknowledging like some practices, they're going to be upstream for you and some are going to be downstream. Some of you love the quiet. This is going to be a practice that's like, yes, it's beautiful. I want to just refine it. And others of you like, this is the hardest thing to just shut my phone off and yield my mind to God. It's so hard to do. It's so much easier for me to think about the things I need to resolve in my mind so then I can be at peace with God. I need to solve these problems so that then I can quiet my heart because once that's sorted, I can. There is some reality to that, but what we're doing is we're trying to cultivate space where in the midst of the storm, we're able to find peace. Does that make sense? Because the storm is never going to end. You're going to come to one mountaintop and you're going to realize it's a plateau and there's another mountain beyond what you just resolved because that's life. So um, let's look at this with uh, the idea solitude is a place to be ourselves with God. God wants us to connect to the heart of God. Hearing now and without solitude is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Silence, which we're pushing into today, is a quieting of our inner noise. And next week, we'll be t- sorry, week after next, we'll be talking about stillness, enjoying harmony with We're told in Scripture, Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Easier said than done. How do we do that when the storm is raging? Flip with me to Mark chapter uh, 37. Sorry, not Mark chapter 37. Mark 4. Mark 4 is another image of Jesus interacting with the chaos of life. Because like us, he knows that there are circumstances Um, That will bring challenge. So Mark chapter 4, verse 37. We find Jesus in the midst of the sea. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. Jesus and the disciples on the boat. And the great, great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Okay, this is... Serious, but when he was in, but he was in the stern. That is Jesus. Jesus was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion in the midst of this terrible storm. And they woke him and said, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, "Why are you so afraid? Have you?" Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're in the middle of a challenging circumstance, chaos all over them. Their their boat is being swamped. They're in the middle of the lake. It's dark. And the guy who they are really counting on is asleep. Jesus has this inner peace that allows him in the midst of the storm to be taking a nap. There's something going on within Jesus that I want it within me. Okay? I want something that Jesus has within him to become cultivated within me. Now we see Jesus throughout time. He goes away to be in silence and solitude. You'll see that throughout the Gospels. But there is something different going on where Jesus' internal person is seriously at wholeness. Where the storm, he's not ignoring it, but it's not fundamentally where his mind is. His mind is somewhere deeper, more calming, more established, more settled. This plays into the Psalm 46 that we um, came to this morning. If I were to read you the full context, Psalm 46 starts by saying this in verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present a very present help when in our time of trouble. Therefore, he will not fear, sorry, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. That is, the earth is opening up. There are earthquakes. 
Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. This is literally if California peels off because that big earthquake comes and goes into the sea. (laughs) We will not fear. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble as it's swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy inhabitant, the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That is what Jesus is establishing. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations raise, the kingdoms totters. He utters his voice and melts, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is what our fortress Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. The phrase, be still, is so, so similar to what Jesus stands up and shouts over the terror-ridden chaos of the water. Be still. And so there's a power that Jesus brings when he himself is in the midst of chaos that moves out in his presence. That when he spoke to the sea, it went flat. When he speaks to the chaos in our life, something changes. But it's not always the scenario. Sometimes it is just the realization of who it is that is with us when he says, hey, be still. And even the fact that if he doesn't say, be still, yes, he says be still to us as we trust. But knowing that just with speaking, He can make the thing that brings you terror, discomfort, uncertainty, wrestling. Be still by simply speaking it. Be still. And there is a day that is coming that Jesus will return to this earth. And though kingdoms totter and people rage and the earth is shaken and things are uncertain, and the economy is what it is, there is a day when Jesus will say, be still to this earth. And all that rages will come to the quietness of peace. A peace that is deeper than lack of conflict. The peace that Jesus brings is what the Hebrews call shalom, which is this bringing together of everything torn asunder. This wholeness of God, humanity, creation in a way that will multiply thriving and new life. As we take time to move towards Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He even now is establishing calm within our hearts and our souls. I think many have found seasons where you're like, God, where are you? I haven't interacted with you in a while. Like, I just feel like you're at a distance. And I love how John Mark Homer highlighted this idea in his ruthless elimination of, of hurry, where he just talks about the idea that What if it's not God that's absent? What if it's us? What if we're we're like calling out to God with our lips, but our hearts, they're so busy and distracted that even in our like prayers, we're like over here thinking we're worrying more than we're praying. We're talking to to our, our problems more than we're talking to our God. We're looking at the challenges of life more than we're looking to the face of Jesus. You see, only one thing is going to transform our inner noise and quiet our inner person. It is finding ourselves and our circumstances 
in a relationship with Jesus. Now that's not a throwaway thing. There's like, yeah, in a relationship, yeah, I trust him. No, it's, it's more so like for us to be still long enough to not just go, man, I tried, and all I can think about is my rent, my kid, my diet, my insecurities. God, where were you? I don't know, but that didn't work. What if we were just to sit there long enough? And as things come up, God, you, you know that I'm super embarrassed. That, that thing happened. And I, I don't need you to solve it. I just, you can even look at that with God. Like, that's true. And I have a hard time thinking about you because I'm distracted with that feeling. Lord, there's this, this sin that keeps hanging on just below the surface. I don't know what to do with it. Does it mean that I don't love you? Does it mean that I don't belong? Then there's some things that they just settle to the bottom and they don't get resolved. Remember shame, sin, guilt. She's like, I forgive you. And there's like, my relationship, my family's broken. My dad's dead and we never resolved. And it just needs to settle into the arms of our God. And for him to go like, yeah. Yeah. You know. The inner quiet comes when we sit quietly long enough and we watch our loving God receive and hold the things that make our mind just spun and busy. And we go, you know what? That's what's in my mind, God. I'm going to give it to you. And then just sink down low enough into a place of stillness. The language of Psalm 46.10, be still, has the idea of release. There may be some things at the surface level that you've got to let go of and let yourself sink down to a place of depth where, where your wellness is not dependent upon the moment's chaos or tomorrow's troubles. For us to just go, you know what? Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. God, give me this day the bread for sustenance. In this moment. Yeah, I failed yesterday. I'll probably fail tomorrow. But I don't know if I have tomorrow. So what if I just have these next five minutes, Lord? to just honor you and bring you what I have. This is the beauty of solitude where the nature of God is revealed as we're still. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton talks about the idea that there are things that we can only learn in the stillness that we cannot learn in the busyness. When we stop thinking and analyzing and trying to strategize and figure it out and talk ourselves into it and amp ourselves up to try harder, but to just simply go, God, I need you. Here's who I am. Will you be with me in this moment? And his presence doesn't stir up angst. I want you to notice his presence is quiet. His presence is peaceful. And I know this can bring up some challenging things. Some of us, we don't like the idea of silence because there's stuff in, there, in our lives, in our history, that we're not quite sure how God will interact with that. I've been there. I've been afraid at times. Let me, let me straight, all right? Who cares? Good thing. I've been at times where I've been 
walking in disobedience to God, and I was afraid of him. So, so f- afraid of him, and that's got to change. Oh man, and that just like, that cut me off from the very source of life. Because when God is like saying, hey, there's something there, he's pointing out poison. He's pointing out that which is like robbing you of life. So until we get to the place where we are able to hold up who we are before God and not just hold them up and go like, yeah, I'm good or bad. No, I I am your child. You love me. And I need help. You see, some of the battles that we wage when we have a hard time stopping and interacting with God because we're uncertain about what he's going to think or if we have been neglectful um, that happens to me daily. God, I'm so sorry I haven't interacted with you in a certain amount of time. Like, where have I been? I'm like the prodigal son every half hour, right? I'm just like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I have a father at home. Yeah, hey, God, sorry about that. I'm right here with you. It's not so much like moral discussions when you're trying to reconnect with God. Before you're in Jesus, yes, you are morally uh, lacking in your ability to be whole in God. We are broken and at debt to God because of our sin. But once we say, God, I believe that my debt isn't something that causes you to retract from me, but something that rushes towards me because you have an abundance of that which I need to clear my debt, that which you purchased on the cross. And I just go, God, please pay my debt. I can't. The discussion no longer is like moral. Your discussion then, from then forward with Jesus is relational. As Jesus, there is nothing in, in all of creation, height, depth, darkness, nothing in all of creation that can separate me from your love. Nothing. So why am I keeping these things for fear that it's separating me from you? I am separating me from your love. When in fact it's these areas of uncertainty, of of chaos, of fear, that they're the doorway to God's love. That when I finally gone, like God, I don't know if you can forgive that. I didn't, I don't, I can't even accept that I am like that's part of my story or whatever. When I finally go, no, you know what? God, you've you've been good to me in the past. I've been transparent with you in the past. And I have I have to believe God. Because I'm, I can't fake it that, that I'm all in with you if I don't have this area where I've invited you into and, and I've, I've let you be yourself towards me there. When I finally have gone, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to be, I will go there with you, God. Let's, let's see this. Let's discover this. It is those areas that I have been the most powerfully overwhelmed and convinced of the goodness and glory of Jesus more than in any other circumstance in my life. In those moments of solitude, in those moments of fighting through when silence is there and you're not sure if you deserve whatever. It is those moments because um, as Bethany Allen said in, in the podcast, if you haven't listened to it, it's really good. She describes how oftentimes we think about the areas of our frustration or shame as hindrances from us being able to connect with God, when in fact, those areas of struggle, pain, regret, sin, sorrow, those are the very places of transformation where God wants to actually bring life to us. You see, Jesus is in the mission of bringing peace within us, but peace as part of wholeness. You were born to be at peace with your God, with others in the world around you. And it starts by inviting Jesus not to change our externals, not to ask God, hey, make it quiet, Lord, but rather address the internal noise of the mind. We look to Jesus to be our um, primary image of of what it looks like to do this, and and we'll, we'll end with this. 
Jesus, when he was going to the, the cross, um, we're told that he went into the garden uh, to wrestle with God. Now, this is not something that I wouldn't say we're all supposed to go to the cross, right? Like, this isn't something that you're supposed to necessarily wrestle through, and it's going to be your exact experience. But when I started to think about how was Jesus so calm in the middle of the storm? He was human. He got cold with waves and the wind and the terror. He felt it all. I think what we see in the garden when he is um, asking the Father and wrestling with the Father, I think it's what he did throughout his life. Because it wasn't just his one human moment, right? He wrestled to be faithful to the Father every day, just like you and me, but he used the power of the Spirit to do it perfectly. And so we see Jesus in Matthew 26, if you'll flip there. I apologize, we'll jump around a little bit, but just to get a broad picture of being still and knowing that he is God. Yes, I think so, Matthew 26, 38. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And in verse 38, then he said, to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. Notice what Jesus does. He doesn't move away from the pain. He can tell there's something off within him. There's a, a disalignment to what he knows should be and what is. He enjoys this abiding in the Father and this tension point. There's a potential for separation. And instead of going like, okay, I'm going to go, uh, let, let's go watch Netflix. Let's, let's go shoot hoops. Let's go do whatever. Uh, let's go work harder. Let's distract ourselves. He's like, something's off. I need to pursue the Father. I need to get this in his presence so that he can meet me. There. So firstly, uh, I think there's going to be three things that we are overviewing and there'll be practical tips for us. Jesus brings or gives God his feelings. He's honest with God. He brings them into the presence of God because in the presence of God, there's fullness of life. It, where the spirit of God is, there's freedom. Where, where we bring ourselves into the presence of God, it affects our life. Not only that, he doesn't just bring his feelings to God. Going a little further... He fell on his face saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Not only does he give his feelings, he gives God his desire. God's not trying to say, hey, shut up and just get, get, get through it. He's not doing that. God wants to fully engage with your full human process. Why? Because God wants your heart he wants your mind. He wants your body. He wants all of us in love. And guess what love looks like when things aren't good? It's bringing our pain to God and allowing him to love us. That is what love looks like when my wife's not well for her to run towards me. Even in need, that's what love looks like from her to me. For us to love God is to run towards him when we are in desperation, not away from him. Because when you're in need, you are a vacuum to take in. That's why we're so susceptible, we're tired, hungry, disappointed, disillusioned. Because we can't but grasp and reach and cling. Jesus says, be still and know. Know that God is God. Not only does he bring his feelings and bring his desires, you can tell God, God, I want this to change. I want this situation to evaporate. I want this uh, result to be undone. You can do all of those things. And God wants to know what you want. But at the end of the day, love looks like honesty, yes. 
but trust essentially. Jesus gives God his trust. Oh, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me, but not of my will. I'm not willing, now hear this, Jesus is saying, I don't want to do this, but I'm not willing to separate from you over this. I don't want to experience this trial, this pain, this reality, but this isn't big enough for me to break fellowship with you. Not my will, if it means me alone. I submit to your will. I trust you. And so solitude becomes a very challenging thing for us to turn off away from the world and to bring stillness not merely to our external life but to our internal mind where our concerns, passions, love, desire, fear all comes within the context of the brain that is constantly firing. How do we love God with a brain that is so busy? Well, it seems like we would pattern ourselves after what Jesus does. We're just bringing what we are. We tell him what we're feeling. We take time to self-examine. And then bring it to him and go like, I, I believe your good news even to what I don't understand. It seems to me that the pattern is bringing him our feelings, being honest with him about our desires. And then giving him our trust so that in the midst of it, you're bound to him. You know what I want, Lord. But what I want more than this result is you. I just don't want to be alone in it. I want to know that you're happy to be with me even in the midst of this. And that, my friends, is the truth. Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we are chaotic, distracted, and unable to see and hear and understand God as love, He was for us. And He was happy to be among us in the Incarnation. And He is happy to be among us today in our frailty. This is the joy of the Lord. He delights to be in your life, mess and all. Solitude is a place for you to experience that as you allow his love to quiet your inner mind. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna lead us in a time of reflection before we go into communion. Um, so if you will just take a second and bow your heads and quiet your heart, easier said than done at different times. I'm going to ask you to take a few breaths just because that allows you to slow down. Take three deep breaths. As you breathe out, I'm going to ask you to hand over to the Lord the left brain concerns that are coming to your mind. The things that keep you at surface level, not going deep to meet God. One by one as you breathe out, just give it to the Lord. I'm letting go. 
and releasing. I'm giving you that sin. I'm giving you this dream. I'm giving you this emptiness. And as you breathe in, I encourage you to just invite the Lord. Say, Spirit, please bring me into your peace. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord one thing in this silence. Why don't you ask the Lord who's listening to you? Lord, what is it you want me to hear in the silence that I could not hear in the noise? Lord, we thank you that you meet us in the secret, in the still, in the quiet. Thank you that you are among us, that your spirit whispers to us in the silence. Spirit, you are welcome here, and we just thank and praise you that you are not absent, Lord. And as we turn our hearts to you, Lord, we ask that what you reveal to us in the secret, Lord God, would we celebrate on the rooftops, God, would we just embrace and breathe in your deep presence. Oh, thank you, Lord God, that you keep our mind in perfect peace when our minds are steadfast on you. So we love you, we thank you, we return these praises to you as you remember your generous gift of your body and your blood broken for us. In the name of Jesus.